Well, let's see if any of this makes sense. I, uh, I got this nasty cold. I'm sure many of you have that same thing. It's just, oh man, I've never been dropped so quick from a cold. So on Tuesday morning, I get this cold and I, I cancel everything I possibly can during the day. I just go home and rest and cancel my small group. But I'm supposed to speak on campus, one of the campus groups, FCA. And uh, it's 9 o'clock at night. To, you know, it's already late to begin with. And I'm, I'm, you know, I'm a snot factory, basically. And I'm, I'm, my head is feeling like this big. And so I take all these drugs to make me feel better. And the topic they have for me, the guy sent me an email. And the email said... You know, this time, the topic we'd like to talk about, if, if you could just explain the Trinity to us and, um, you know, and, and it, its implications for our lives. So here I am feeling completely wound up, and I've got my back to them, and I'm writing on the board, and I'm making diagrams, and I'm laughing at them, and nobody else is laughing. So we're going to see how this goes today. So if, it just, if, if I turn my back and start laughing, just laugh with me, just to humor the old man here a little bit. If you're just joining us, uh, we want to welcome you to Hope. Um, we are in the in a fourth or fifth, fifth week of a study of the Gospel of John. And if you don't own a Bible or if you just like to have a Gospel of John, we just put a whole bunch more of these goodies uh, in the pews there or upstairs. They're just on the, they're on the, on the pew. There. You can have one of these. They're our free gift to you and you could just read the Gospel of John. I encourage you to read this Gospel. It's an amazing uh, amazing gospel that we are going to start, we've been studying. We've been working on the first 18 verses. If you want to throw those up there. Uh, yeah. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. That's, the, that's what we've been looking at so far, the first few verses of this passage. We're going to go through all the way through verse 9 today. But we spent kind of a couple of weeks looking at some of the things that the first, the first part talks about. It says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. A lot of people don't make it past the first verse in John because they go, wow, it's already into the matrix here, okay? I'm, what is going on with this whole word thing? You know, word up, man. What is this word thing? And so I want to go to the next slide there. I, 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 this is all the allusions to uh, th that concept in the first 18 verses, which is kind of like John's uh, introduction. Everybody calls it the prologue or whatever, but it's basically the introduction of the Gospel of John. It's 18 verses, and the word word or a pronoun referring back to that is highlighted all over the place here. It's not till the very bottom. Uh, I, I hope you come back in a few weeks, but it's actually Jesus. So it's that, that the, verse 17, it says, came through, and then it lists who this word is. It's Jesus Christ. Okay, but now, it's very significant, this word, word. So I want to do just a little study with you, just a real brief one, on this whole concept of why did John use the word, or this word, if you want to go to the next one there, yeah. In the Greek, it's, the phrase is called logos, or, or logos really is the way it's pronounced, but logos, logos, whatever. And it's, it's, it's a word that is more than just word. And oftentimes people think, wait a minute, uh, when you say the word, maybe that could be the Bible. Well, in, in the Greek language, there was definitely a, a word that they used, graphe, 
which was not the word that's used here. Logos, that graphite always meant scriptures or books or that kind of thing. So it's not meaning the Bible when it says the word. Because I know sometimes we call the Bible the word of God. Okay, that's not the case here. It's this phrase, L-O-G-O-S, Logos. Now that puppy, we don't get anything out of that. It just, you know, matter of fact, I wanted to get a really cool picture of Logos. And so I typed in our Google Images Logos, and it gave me a bunch of logos. Ah, thousands and thousands of logos. So that didn't work. I wasn't going to sit there and go through a thousand pages to find the one image that I was looking for. It's not logos, it's, it's Logos. Now, in where this comes from, at the time when John was writing this, I want to take you back there and what that would have felt like if you would have been one of the first guys that would have, you know, the ink was still running on, on John's gospel and you were reading it. It was brand new. What would have that been like? What would have this word meant to you? Okay, so it has a couple, it has a couple roots. The first root it has is in uh, philosophy, Greek philosophy. In uh, 6th century B.C., so about 600 years, 600-700 years before uh, this gospel was written, there was a guy by the name of Heraclitus, uh, I'm glad Andy's not here anymore because I can say these guys and I have no idea whether I'm pronouncing them right or not, but he's not here to correct me. But anyway, I think it's Heraclitus. And this guy, there he is. He turned to stone. He studied so hard. <laughs> this is the Sudafed talking, so I'm sorry. Uh, <coughs> he, was the, he was the guy, if you remember from your, from your philosophy classes, that he's the guy that said, whoa, dude, you know, you, you can only step into a river once. And when you step out of the river, then when you step into that river, it's a different river. Because that water's gone. That, rock, that river will never be the same river. I know, you know what you're thinking. You're thinking, oh man, this guy's got too much time on his hands. Most of these guys did. But that, that's the kind of things they were thinking. Is like, wow, the, if that's true, if, if the river's always changing, then what's the same? Is there anything ever the same? And so these guys had these, these very profound thoughts about, is there any order in the universe? And so Heraclitus was one of the first guys to say, yes, there is, there, there is order. And he asserted that the world was governed by a fire-like logos. It was a divine force that produces the order and, and, and keeps things that were in flux. It keeps them in order. And he believed that this uh, force was similar to why we have reasonable thought. Okay, so... This Logos force, it's kind of like may the force be with you a little bit. So it's not necessarily like a divine force, but it was, it was reason, it was insight, it was order. Okay, so that's one of the backdrops of this word. The Stoics who also were around, um, they also believed in this same thing. Around the 4th century BC, they believed that the Logos is present everywhere and seems to be understood as both a divine mind and at least a semi-physical force acting through space and time, and there's a cosmic order that's determined by Logos. It's almost divine, but maybe not quite. All right, and then a contemporary of John, uh, a guy by the name of uh, Philo Judius, he was a Jewish, but he also he was a Jewish person, so he believed in in the Almighty God, but he also was a philosopher. So he's trying to combine these two thoughts, and this is right about the same time that John is writing this gospel. He would say that the Logos is a mediating principle between God and the world and can be understood as God's word or the divine wisdom. So when this word, word is used, it's not just 
word like a word to communicate, but it's more than that. It's like a reason. It's a mind. It's an essence. It's an order. So that, that baby is a pregnant word. When John uses the word word, I mean, that's one of our simplest words is word. But to them, it was like complicated word. So think of word complicated, but if you pinched it, it would just explode with all these thoughts and ideas about reason and mind and expression and all these philosophical things that had been said at that time. That's what's going on. And we're going to see in the weeks that follow as we look at all these different things in John chapter 1 that um, they're going to unpack what this word is. In fact, the whole rest of the book of John is going to unpack what this word is. And so it's a, it's a very, very pregnant very, very pregnant word. Okay, let's look at what we're going to look at for today. So if you have a Bible with you, you can open up to John 1, or you can grab one of those little ones, look on the screen, or use one of those uh, inserts that's inside your worship folder, whatever gives you joy, however you like to do it. It's totally fine. We're going to look at uh, verses 4 to 9 primarily today. We're going to jump back a little bit to the first few verses. Let me read it all, because we're going to spend time kind of in the first chunk and then the second chunk, but let me read it all first. Uh, I read the first three verses before, but now we're picking up in verse 4. It says, In him was life, in the Word. Remember, we haven't seen the name Jesus. We won't see the name Jesus all the way until verse 17. In him was life, <coughs> and that light, life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. There came a man who was sent from God. His name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light so that through him all men might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to every man was coming into the world. There's two big concepts we're going to look at this morning. Jesus Christ is now, this word is defined as life. And that life, it'll say, actually, out of that comes light. Those are the two, con it's, it's beautiful imagery that he gives. Life and light. Let's take a look at first, the first one. Jesus Christ is life. Jesus Christ is life. Now, this is one of John's fa favorite phrases. John is going to use this word life just as a noun. He's going to use it as a verb a bunch of times, you know, to live. He's going to use it 50 times in the Gospel of John. The Gospel of John is 21, 22 chapters. I don't know. I'll know when we get done. 22, right? 22. Anyone? Okay, it is 22. If you don't know, I'm just going to say it is. Uh, and, and there's 50 times. So two, two, sometimes three times a chapter, this word is going to come up. Life. 50 times throughout there. Let me give you some of the significant times that he says it. In John 5, he's speaking to people who are religious but are not followers of Christ. Their hearts are not set right. The, uh, Jesus is standing there, the author of life, and they reject him. And he says this, he says, you diligently study the scriptures because you think that by them <coughs> you possess eternal life. These are the scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. In John chapter 10, Jesus is speaking about the difference between him and a thief says, the thief comes only to still, steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. John 10, last part of that chapter, he's speaking about himself as being the good shepherd. And he says, I give my sheep. He says, I give them eternal life. 
and they shall never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand. John is answering a or Jesus is answering a question about how do we find the way, Jesus? And Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And the end of the way John ends the, the gospel of, of John in uh, John 20. It's 21 chapters in John, isn't there? Yeah. Um, 20. Uh, he says, Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. This is a huge thing with John. Huge thing with John. Life. Now, what does he mean? What does he mean when he says life? Okay? Like some of you have a shirt that says, golf is life, everything else is details. Or, you know, those kind of shirts I've seen. And my kids have those shirts that say about basketball or whatever. Basketball is life, the rest is details or whatever you want to say. What does he really mean by this phrase, Jesus Christ is life. In him was life. What does he mean by that? I think he means... I think he's packaging all the three possible ways you can think of life. I really do. I think it's all packaged in there. The first one is just physical life. In Christ is physical life. And you, you can't help but see the allusions to Genesis in John 1. If you look at the first three, four verses, the first four verses, and first it says, in the beginning was the word. Now that phrase, in the beginning, that John ain't no dummy. He knows that the first three words in the Bible are in the beginning. In John 1, or excuse me, Genesis 1, it says, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And so you can see there's a link there. Also, if you go a little further down in, in John uh, 1, 3, it says, through him, talking about this word, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. That's a very clear allusion to the whole story in Genesis one, how, how, how things are being made. In Genesis 1, 3, let there be light. And you go right on down. God just says things and, and they are. And you can see it clearly here. But I think the biggest one is this John 1, 4. We just read a minute ago. In him was life. In him was life. And that is a direct allusion to Genesis 2, 7. When God creates humans. He says... The Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and the man became a living being. You got to stop there. You got to get, get your mind's eye on this now. Okay? Dirt. 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 You got dirt. Fashion the dirt. Got it? You fashioning the dirt? In your mind? Okay, there it is. There's the feet, size nine and a half, out there, good. Belly button, I don't know. Adam have a belly button? Not sure. Um, <laughs> head, nostrils, out of dirt. <sighs> Blows into the nostrils. Stands up. Whoa. My, uh, I'm in the middle of this remodeling project. Boys and I, on, on Friday, we cleared out, I'm not kidding you, we cleared out one full bedroom size of debris that was two feet high of broken, you know, just everything that you could possibly think of. Uh, it, it was, um, a lot of it was uh, broken plaster that we busted out a ceiling and two walls. And, 
and it's been in a basement for probably 40 years. So, oh no, there's no mildew there. Uh, I mean, it's just, it's just this, this, and I was thinking about this, and I was packing this stuff in this trailer so we could take it to the dump. And when I was reading this, I was thinking, form all that, whew, new basement. <laughs> Think of that. All he does is breathe on it. That is so cool. That is so cool. Now, God doesn't need to breathe on it. He could just say, be a basement or, or be a human. But there's something about him breathing on it. Because something comes from him and lands on that person. In him was life. <sighs> Out it comes and it's in you. You're physically alive. Not only are you physically alive... You have a spiritual aliveness. That's what it means when it says golf is my life. You feel alive inside. There's something going on inside of you. <coughs> Excuse me. And John is going to go on and on about this whole concept. Man, he loves this phrase life. He loves the idea that you feel alive, that Jesus Christ is life. And you're going to see that over and over and over again. Paul picks up on this in one of my favorite passages in the New Testament. When he talks about this life, in Ephesians chapter 2, if I were on a desert island and I could only have one book, it would be a book on how to build a ship on a desert island. But if I could have two books, it'd be that book and Ephesians 2, 1 to 10. If I had to just have one chunk of scripture, it'd probably be the passage I would take. In the first parts of that, Paul's speaking and he says, As for you, you are dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live, when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived. It's an interesting dichotomy there, eh? He says, you were dead, but you're living. You're walking corpses. You're alive physically, but spiritually you're dead. All of us lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts, like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. This is bad news. First three verses of this passage are the worst you could possibly know. First of all, he says you're dead. Second of all, he says you're living but you're dead. And third of all, he says your final outcome is that the hope you have from God is that he's mad at you for your sin and your deadness. This is bad news. You did not come here this morning to hear this, I hope. You do not understand the good news, though, until you understand the bad news. Right? Th this would be a great place to insert something about the Packers and the Vikings, but I hope the Packers, you can put this on the, I hope the Packers kill the Vikings today. <laughs> I know, it's the Sudafed talking. I got issues with our Vikings, which many of us do, and I just hope the Packers and Brett Favre clean. I would even wear that today. If that were my size, I would take it right off there. <laughs> I don't go too far. I got a weak heart, you know. No. Um, that's the bad news. Nature, wrath, bad news. But then the, probably the sweetest verse in the Bible. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ 
even when we are dead in our transgressions. You didn't deserve anything to be made alive. He just does it. It is by grace you've been saved. He does it. He makes you alive. You don't do anything to deserve it. If you're here this morning and you think you've got to earn a lot of points with God or you've got to go to church a number of times, I want to give you permission to never come back here again. You don't have to go to church. You don't have to give money. You don't have to, you have to do anything other than trust Jesus Christ as your sin bearer. Say, Jesus, you can take it. He makes you alive. That's all you got to do. And you know what the crazy thing is? You're going to want to start to do that other stuff because that comes with being alive. But you're not going to have to do it. Every one of us is spiritual debris. Every one of us is like that room. And Jesus waiting to blow on you, make you alive. Third way, third kind of life I'm, I'm, I'm confident that in him was life is referring to is eternal life. John 3.16, probably one of the most famous passages in the Bible. John 3.16, it says, uh, Jesus speaking to Nicodemus. I can't wait to get to talk to Nikki. This is going to be a fantastic time. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Eternal, eternal has two implications. One is a time thing, obviously. Eternal, I mean, it goes on and on. But the other one is abundance thing. It's eternal. It's always welling up within you. Psalm 23 talks about uh, that as you're a sheep, the Lord is my shepherd. You're familiar with that. And he says, he makes me lie down in green pastures. Do you know that a sheep does not eat while it's laying down? It never does it. It only eats when it's standing up. It's not like a dog. You know, dogs sometimes are so tired they kind of eat. No, sheep don't do that. Sheep just lay in the green pastures and they stand up to eat. There's just abundance you just, you just, it's, it's just like you're taking a nap and all this money or something. It's just abundance. That's there. Eternal life is not just time. It's abundance. When you think of heaven, and you, you have this image of, ah, oh, dude, I don't know how many chords I can learn on a harp. That'll be boring. Oh, man. Whatever it is that you enjoy doing, take that and times a million fold, and that's what will be going on inside your body. You will, it will be abundant. Everything. Steak will taste like, mmm. Mmm. <laughs> and there will be no more colds, amen? Whew. And the Sudafed and the NyQuil up there must be amazing. <laughs> that NyQuil stuff is vicious. Man, I took that stuff. Seth called me at 10 o'clock. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm still sleeping in the morning. It's abundant. Okay, so Jesus Christ is life. Second thing in this passage is Jesus Christ is light. It says, in him was life, and that life was the light of men. Now, I'm just going to go through the rest. We've already read it once. I just want to go real briefly through. There are six things here that describe this life. The first one is, right there in the first passage is, it says, in him was life, and then it says, and that life was the light of men. So this life, out of it, creates this light 
for men. So the light, its origin comes from the life. Second thing is, it says in verse 5, it says, the light shines in the darkness. Light shines in darkness. Peter, just for kicks, turn off the lights for a second. See, now, see, dark. Now turn the lights on. Dark light. Turn them off again, that was fun. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> now the only way you know that the lights are on is because when he turns the lights off, it's dark, right? Now let's stop and think about this for a second. Those of you who are physics majors, uh, or even if you're not, you know that light is actually a particle and a wave. And, and so it's, it's a thing, it's a real thing, right? There, it actually is a, a, a way to like weigh it, or they, they have ways to hit it on particles and it makes things spin and all that kind of thing. So it actually is a thing. What is darkness? The dar darkness is, by definition, the absence of light, right? That's all it really is. I mean, the, only, the only way you have darkness is if you don't have light. Okay? It says, the light shines in places where there isn't light. The light shines in the darkness. Third thing about this, this light we see here, it says, the darkness has not understood it. This, is, again, is one of those passages, that word understood is one of those deals. If you look in the little footnote there, uh, not in your insert, but if you have a Bible open, it'll say, or overcome, or seize. The word really means seize. The darkness has not seized it. And it does have a dual meaning. And so it's, hard to, it's very hard to translate words when they have dual meanings, you know? It's kind of like when we say the phrase guy. Like, like guy could mean, come on you guys, and it can mean male or female. Or if, if you go to a bathroom and one says guys and one says girls, guys, you should go to the guys. Uh, uh, males, you should go to the guys. So that, but that can have a dual meaning here. And you have to kind of know the context this one, I kind of think he's, John again, once again, likes using these words that have kind of lots, range of meanings, because I think he means them all. If you seize something, can mean, do you grasp it? Do you get it? And the darkness doesn't get it. But secondly, it doesn't overcome it. It doesn't overpower it. It's impossible for darkness to overcome light. Think about that for a second. You shine a light, the darkness will go, hey, wait a minute, wait a minute. You, you, you hold up a flashlight and the darkness just goes, see ya, wherever you point the flashlight. That's what flashlights do. The darkness cannot overcome light. Fourth thing, it says there was a man who was sent from God, his name was John. Now this is really unfortunate that he doesn't say John the Baptist here, because he's talking about John the Baptist. Because everybody thinks, if you're reading this, you're thinking, John, author, no, wrong. And you, you wouldn't get that first time through. You'll get it later on. <clears throat> there was a man sent from God. His name was John. He came as a witness concerning, oh, excuse me. So there, there's someone sent before Jesus, sends before him, chronologically. John the Baptist is on the scene before Jesus starts his public ministry. So he starts the process. John the Baptist is this witness of this light. Then he says, uh, he came as a witness testify concerning the light so that through him all men might believe. 
John came around, and all he wanted to be was a good pointing dog. You know what a good pointing dog does? A good pointing dog just points at the, the thing. He doesn't come up to it. He doesn't grab it. He points at it so that you can shoot it. Now <laughs> uh, you're wondering, how's he going to make this fit? John the Baptist points at Jesus so you can enjoy him. And that's what, that's what he's a pointer. He's a witness. He's not the main attraction. He points at it. And so he's pointing at Jesus. And the reason he does that is not so that you become John the Baptist fans, so that you become Jesus fans. He's pointing to Jesus Christ. You know what? That's one of the things that we, we say at Hope all the time about the worship team and about successful preaching is you point to the king and then you get out of the way. Point to the king, get out of the way. And that's what John the Baptist was all about. Pointing to the king. We're going to see that. And John, in the Gospel of John, he's really into that. Showing how uh, John is just saying, Jesus, Jesus. It's all about Jesus. So he was not that. And then the last part of this we see that the true light that gives light to every man was coming into the world. There is a, now it's interesting, he adds this word true. There's this, go one more, yeah. True light that gives light to every man was coming into the world. True light. Huh, that's interesting. So if there's, you know, I think of the word true. I think of the, you know, when you sit down and you take the, the uh, what do you call oath, you know. You swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. That is the most redundant thing to say, really, isn't it? You know, the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. So help you God. Okay, and that's what it says here. That's the kind of light that's coming. So if there's that kind of life, excuse me, if there's that kind of light, it would seem to me that there's a lot of partial lights. Lights that kind of, you know, like golf. Golf is life. Well, you know, golf's fun, but golf life? Ugh. You know, basketball, those kind of things. I mean, those of you who are Vikings fans, <laughs> I mean, I, I dye purple, and this year, my gosh, if that's what's giving you life, there's some problems. What are those, I, I, I could think, I, I got five things here that I think people in life, and they're all good things. They're all good things. Things that are partial lights. They're, they're not true lights, they're just partial lights. They're made for you to enjoy, but they were never made for you to get the light of your soul lit up from. Five things here real quick. First one is technology. I love technology. No. Uh, <laughs> in, in the 50s and 60s, we felt that in this culture, that if we just keep growing technologically, everything will be solved. Do you know that the, the, the people in the 80s and 90s have need more counseling than the previous 80 years before, we are not happier because we have more stuff. We are not. It, it, it does not make us happier. This last week, I went a week without hot water in my house. And you start to think, that's a technological advance I kind of like. And I thought, what a pansy I am. You know, 100 years ago, they didn't have running water in the house, let alone hot water. And here I'm complaining about not having hot water. Every now and then, our, our, for whatever reason, our block goes out electrically. And we go sometimes up to a week without power. 
And you know what? Sometimes those weeks are the most refreshing weeks. The neighbors all come out and we talk. We run extension cords to the guys across the alley or different things. And we have this great time talking and then the power goes back on and we all go back to our busy, crazy lives. Technology, every time you increase technology, the use of it for evil and for messing up our lives just goes that much more fold. Technology is not one that's going to give us light. It's going to perhaps help us and can be a good thing. Second thing, this is a common one. I know, I'll just get married. I heard somebody cackle up there. <laughs> You've heard me say this, I'm going to say it again. Marriage does not solve your problems. It just rearranges them. It doesn't solve your problems. People think, oh man, if I just were married. And then they get married and they realize there's this other person that they have to please, that they have to get along with, that they have to be nice to. I mean, it's, this is no easy thing. So marriage doesn't work and people go, that didn't work. I know, I'll have one of those. And you know, how could a kid not satisfy you? Huh? Oh, it's so cute. So cute until they look like this. <laughs> that is the way my kids look most of the time. Go back one. Back one, the other way. There you go. Get that out of your mind. Put that into your mind. Children are not put on this earth to satisfy you, to be your light. Oh, man alive. If, I tell you what, if you don't believe in original sin, that kids are, people are born with it, have children. <laughs> then you'll go, oh, man, I believe in it now. These kids from almost from birth are like, I want, I want to be fed. I want my diaper changed. Man, so needy. <laughs> Okay, so I can't get technology and I can't get a marriage and that's not going to satisfy me. I can't have kids. I know what I'll do. I'll fix up my domain. I'll make my domain. I'll improve my house. That'll be a good thing. Take it from a guy who's two feet deep in debris. Your house is most likely, after you're done, going to look like that. <laughs> if I can't have all those things, I know I'll just make a lot of money. I'll make a lot of money. That'll satisfy me. These are the great American dreams, right? These are the great American dreams. Technology, get married, have kids, have a great house, and have a lot of money, and I'm all set. You know, the only advantage, it's been said of rich people, the only advantage they have is that they know for certain that money will not make you happy. Everybody else believes that it will. I know somebody just won the lottery. 300 and what? 340 million bucks. I think if you, do, if you did the cash out and you let Uncle Sam have his cut, I think you got 84 million, is that right? That's after Uncle Sam? 111 million. 111 million dollars. You know they've done studies of lottery, lottery uh, winners and they found out, they asked them, did you like your life before or after more? Most of them say before. Because all these people come out of the woodwork and just say, hi, we're related. It goes back to Noah and the flood, but we're related. And their life now is, is this, people just want from them and need from them and take from them. They say, man, if I could choose it over, I, 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 I don't know what I'd do. But they don't, they don't want to give away all the money. They don't know what to do. Now, 
Win the lottery. I'm all for it. Remember, I'm related. Uh, win, I, I don't care. But these things, all these things are partial lights. There is only one source for true life and true light. The other things are just meant to be things you enjoy, and they're fine to enjoy. But don't get life or light from them. Jesus Christ is the only one. It's eternal. He's solid. On Christ, the solid rock, I stand. Let's pray. Lord, our hearts are so quick to want to go to things that will quickly satisfy us and, and yet cheaply satisfy us, not make us really satisfied. I don't want to settle for that, Lord. I want the real thing. Lord, I, I like all those other things too. I like hot water. And I like the conveniences we have. But Father, more than anything, we want our hearts to be satisfied. And the only way our hearts are going to be satisfied is because in him was life, and that life was the light of men. Lord, I pray for everyone in this room. Some right now are going through a period of real doubting, real questioning. Perhaps it's their first time ever really pondering who is Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray that you'd show yourself to them through friends and through the reading of your word, uh, even through today. And God, they would come to a point in their lives where they could bend their knee to you and say, Jesus Christ, I want you to be my sin bearer. Perhaps even today, you give them the courage to do that, that they want to follow you as Lord. Not because they have to, but because they get to. Lord, I pray for us who have gone through life and life has beaten us up, whether it's through a sickness or through failed relationships or whatever it is. I pray, God, that you would be the one to satisfy. We wouldn't look to things or people or anything in this world to ultimately satisfy us. We would look to you. So Jesus, even as we sing these songs, would, would you just come by your spirit, Holy Spirit, would you work in each life here, encouraging them and comforting them and urging them on to be more hearty at their following of you. We pray in Jesus' name.